0: Welcome to the Black Mind Garden, the podcast that helps you retrain your brain so that you can have improved emotional, behavioral, and communication flexibility while you tackle life's daily challenges and opportunities. In this podcast, we plant new seeds that remap your mind and expand your listening by helping you to retrain that inner voice that sometimes stops us from producing the unimaginable results in our lives. So sit back. It's time to retrain your brain, and I am your host and trainer, Dr. Maisha. Hey, have you ever thought about learning NLP or hypnosis or even being a coach? Even if you simply learn the skills of coaching, it could come in handy everywhere and in every area of your life. Our Mind Remapping NLP coach training will give you mastery over language, helping you to improve your confidence, communication, coaching, and leadership. So if you're committed to removing unconscious blocks so you can consciously elevate your performance in every area of life, join our next training. Schedule and training interest call at RemapMyMind.today. That's RemapMyMind.today. All right, all right, all right. We are on another um, podcast episode of the Black Mind Garden. And boy, let me tell you, this has been a long time coming. I'm almost ashamed to say how long we've been trying to plan this. (laughs) But uh, I am excited, excited to bring on my friend, my colleague, my partner in anti-racism, anti-oppression education, Dr. Jill Weiner, who is the creator, the founder, and my partner in Conscious Anti-Racism. And, uh, you know, I could say so much more about this. Um, What I'm excited is is what we're talking about today, which is sort of where we center our work around the practice of anti-racism and and, and anti-oppression work, the practice of it. And so before I jump into it, I just got to say, welcome, Dr. Jim. Yeah, it's like getting to hang out with my favorite person. I know, I know, <laughs> formally, yay, <laughs> finally. <laughs> so I really would like to make sure that, you know, I know you, we work together all time, we talk every day, multiple times a day on Marco Polo and other things. And so, um, but my audience um, you may be somewhat new to this audience. You were on my previous podcast when I had the Next Level Physicians podcast. So I'd love for you to sort of introduce yourself: who you are, what you do, how you came to this work.
1: Um. Okay. Where should I start? It's going to take an hour. Um. No. I um. I'm Jill Weiner. I am a internist by training. I worked as a hospitalist for ten years. Um. After my own struggle with burnout, um, found a meditation practice that changed my life, blew my mind. Uh, Decided after a few years that I wanted to become a teacher in that tradition. So that's kind of how I, sort of how I exited medicine. Um, Teaching meditation in the physician wellness space. I'm an EFT tapping practitioner, which kind of came around in 2018. And then I always thought that I was a, um, non-racist white woman, liberal, well-intending non-racist white woman. And then, um, started to get more involved in, in my own learning. Um, when I was called out, um, in 2016 about a blog post I had written. And then, um, a lot of in, intense internal work led to me attending a training in 2019 called Allies in Action led by Leslie Mack and Paige Ingram. And, um, that was a really pivotal moment for me and the first time I ever thought about doing this work out, outwardly. Um, still sort of, and combining basically like the mind-body work that I do that has helped me regulate myself as I do this work, as it gets difficult, um, as I flail and panic and all the things, um, what's kept me in it. Um, and yeah, I was trying to teach some white people how to stay in it and get uncomfortable. Um, never thinking that I would have the honor of working with anybody else, um, particularly not you, particularly not anyone as amazing as you. But I just was like, this is my little like contribution. Um, and then you and I met and the rest is history.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am. Um, it was certainly, <laughs> interestingly enough, was a surprise to me. And and you came along and and I um, I don't think I would have jumped in in this way had you not asked. I don't know how long it would have taken me or what way, what form it would have taken. But had I, had you not asked, I, I may not have heard the calling the way I heard the calling. So I appreciate everything that's come from that sense.
1: You know that real quick, I think today might be our three-year anniversary. <gasps> I don't no. know if it's exactly the 13th. <laughs> But yes, around this time. Right before the world shut down. Like right, right, right before the world shut down in
0: 2020. Wow.
1: founder like and just realizing that. That's pretty cool. I can't yes. believe it. Yes, for those have-
0: of you who are listening on replay, that date is March 13th that we are recording. And yes, I believe you are right in how time flies. So how how apropos is it that we be recording this podcast during our... And I'm going to be recording another podcast Two days from now, and we're all doing it the week of the anniversary that we actually came together. I love of that, that for kids' Met. <laughs> love it. Yes. So you know, um, one of the things that I have learned in being in this work and stepping into this work is how much of a daily practice this is, and and it is for all people. I mean, I know. I can only I can speak for myself. I I can imagine for white people how how much of a practice it it is, right? Because we teach the work. And it's not often talked about as a practice. And the elements of that practice are not always talked about. It's just, you know, it's a journey, right? And we all we know it's a journey. And um, but how it's a practice is something that we often break down. And I love to have that conversation how yeah, let's do it so in terms of um you know I often think about this work as skill building and I, I i feel like number one you have to empower yourself with the knowledge and of course you know we talk about the 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 characteristics of dominant culture the or, or white supremacism culture um, it's it's kind of knowing that and recognizing before you can and then and then like really allowing yourself to feel the feelings that's one of the things I like about your work is this is sort of this feeling the feelings and getting in the body and, and the, because trauma itself is embodied, we have to be able to get in our body to understand and, and, and recognize before we can actually start to practice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how anyone does this work without having tools. I, I don't know in a meaningful way, in a way that, um, really gets to the, 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 as we talked about in our equity matters group, the, the, the core work, this, the soul work, the heart work. Um, and I think the tools are like a starting point. I yeah. think they have to be along, obviously along with education, but like in order to like do the internal work,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's like going at it, particularly with white people who have like, who think that they have not had to be dealing quote unquote with race.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it it takes intention and it takes attention and it takes dedication um and it's when you have the choice to stop engaging it takes tools and skills to stay in the game
0: yeah what value for you has the the the, the embodiment work been um, taken in, in terms of like the daily practice of the work? I mean, cause you bring, that's one of the major tools that you bring is you bring this, this work of the, um, the embodiment work along with it.
1: I think for me, I can tell immediately in my body when someone has said or done something that is making me uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I'm very in tune with like, oh, that made me feel yucky. Mm-hmm. I need to speak up like in the, in terms of allyship or, um, you know, what we call, there's a million terms for allyship, but what, what, what I mean by that is, you know, speaking up and when it's not about specifically my identity. So in allyship, I think I, I can't ignore it at this point. Like I feel the feeling and I'm like, Ooh, that's um and I think also for me, recognizing like dynamic, I mean, you and I talk about this all the time, our dynamic between each other when there's a ick there, because there's always gonna be icks in relationships, Mm -hmm. I of course never wanna have to talk about it because I want everything to be happy all the time. But like when there is an ick there, there's always white supremacy behind it. There's always white supremacism in some way showing up either for me or for you internalized or some way. And so I think learning to recognize that as well, um, how it feels when it doesn't feel, when things feel rough, in, in some way, um, that's my sign to know that there is an underlying, there's an underlying dynamic there. It is 99.9% of the time, some version of white supremacism.
0: I think it's, this, you bring an interesting point because um, in terms of the feeling in our body, right? Now I can tell you for myself personally, I spend a lot of time avoiding feelings. Mm. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I spent a lot of time living in my head. And so I think there's a lot of people who walk around living in their head and reacting, reacting to things that happen in their body without first identifying what that thing is. Mm -hmm. And so there's just sort of like and and we talk about it, too, in terms of like trauma response in, in, in a lot of cases. So there's just this involuntary boom reaction that happens, and it it's sort of skips the that that higher executive functioning thinking right. that evaluates is mm-hmm. this an actual threat or is this is this something else? What is what what nerve is this tapping on? Or what button is this pushing? And so for me, like in this work. Um, and and I will say that i I have done and you know this about me I have I'm a yogi of of I guess it's like 17 years now, 17 or so years now and that's the work that's actually helped me to get in my body and help me to recognize when something's off. The challenge for me has always been and I'm getting better at it and I have to say sometimes I still have to pull out the feelings wheel is, I can recognize in my body, but I can't always label what it is. Mm-hmm. And it takes me um, sometimes days to like be able to accurately label, well, what is it that I'm feeling exactly? Like what's the emotion that I'm feeling exactly? And then by that time you kind of forget like, well, where did it start? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and so that's something that is, because because if, if you, now we talk about um, trauma responses, and 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 there's the, we we could go. I'm not going to go too deep into that because that's a whole nother pod, podcast. But you know, yeah. fight, flight, freeze, fawn. In the world of 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 this the flight fight responses, I'm I or I'm a freeze person. So if someone says something to me and something and I feel something, in my body, then I'm le- I'm less likely to respond or react in the moment, and that's an involuntary thing. But then or say something about it. But then later, when I'm trying to figure it out, I've lost, uh, what. when is it that the the actual bad feeling started? And what was it that started the bad feeling? Yeah. So that part's that part has been a practice for me. It's it's hard to, I mean, it's like
1: when someone says something, you're like, oh, I'm like, I had the, like, you get the comeback later, you know? Mm-hmm. If, if mm-hmm. I had known what I was going to say in the moment, it would have been so much better. hmm and I think it yeah, it absolutely takes practice because we're not trained to deal. We're we're, we're actively trained, I think, in our society to disconnect from our bodies. Yeah, and we're actively trained to avoid uncomfortable emotions. So, it, like, we're, it's like an uphill battle until we recognize, like, oh, there's ways to learn
0: how to do this. Yeah, I think speaking of being uncomfortable, I think this is such a great point you bring is that. I think another practice in this work is the practice of being uncomfortable. The yeah. practice of being courageous enough to be uncomfortable, um, because these conversations are, for many people, for some people, I think easier than others. But for I think and that's I think those are like veteran, 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 veterans who have been <laughs> who have been in this work. But for many, most people, or many people. I think these kinds of conversations, these conversations of anti-racism, of anti-oppression, of 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 you know working to dismantle misogyny in our society, are just very uncomfortable. Especially when you have to have the the conversation with the oppressor, mm-hmm. and um, and that that's on either side. Whether you're a, a you know ally, accomplice, co-conspirator, standing up to um someone who is um, who is being uh, racist or, or oppressive or misogynistic in some way um, or whether you are a person of color um, or a person of a particular uh, gender identity that or or sexual orientation that is having to speak on your behalf or on the behalf of someone else that you see being harmed um, though, for us, it's very uncomfortable as well. And so having to, our bodies are not, our brains and our bodies are not programmed to throw ourselves in harm's way. They're programmed exactly the opposite. But we yeah. can practice um, putting our, we can practice being courageous enough to be uncomfortable knowing that that's more of a perceived threat than an actual threat at times. hmm and, and, and that takes a lot, it takes energy. It takes energy, right?
1: It takes energy and so much awareness,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so much awareness. I was thinking, you know, with you and me, one of the things that we've kind of like, I don't want to say we've clawed our way to it, but I think because of our own personal stuff, like trusting in a deep, a deep relationship has been really mm-hmm. like one of the things that I didn't know I explicitly struggled with until we have it. Mm -hmm. And knowing that like, I can make a mistake and say something, or you can make, you don't make mistakes. You're perfect. But like, (laughs) it's me like doing a thing or whatever, but like knowing that that having that trust, I think in this practice is so crucial. And I don't, I mean, obviously there's not, we're not going to have trust with every person that we're going to have to speak up to, but knowing that like there's a person where you can show up as your full self mm-hmm. and make mistakes and grow and learn. And like, that has for me been so huge and given me the, it's given me confidence and bravery in other spaces, I think, knowing that like this type of relationship exists in the world.
0: Yeah. I really love that. Like there's this, there's almost a dichotomy that I I hear there too. That's like, there's the, the knowing that you have a person, a person in that, that you can trust in that way, like a, whether it's a committed listener, um, you know, a safe space that you can go to when you're out in the the spaces that don't feel so safe mm-hmm. and the, and having the safe space to come back to sort of gives you the courage to be in that safe space in that, and be in that not so feeling of safe space in that moment to be able to speak up. Like there's that piece. Yeah. There's another thing I hear as well is like the trusting of oneself. Mm-hmm. Like the coming to the point, you know, you have your safe space, your person. And then you also know that, you know, as you do this, as you stand up, as you occupy these brave spaces, that you can trust that you will have the words. Yeah. That you can trust that you can occupy that space and that you your voice will matter however it comes out yeah and you can always you know i i did a previous podcast mistakes mist, mist, mistakes are 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 only mistakes and then mm-hmm. you can have a take too yeah anything you mess up you can clean up right in our profession we're taught mistakes are deadly and 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 many times they can be you know life threatening or deadly in life, it's not that way. Like in life, in most cases, yes, there are, there are other avenues where it's still the case. But in on a day to day basis, a mistake is mistakes are not deadly. And so, when we miss that, what we mistake, we can always take two and clean up. Yeah, right?
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things also that is helpful. And you and I talk about this a lot. It's like the the concept of, um, what's it called? Dialectics. Mm-hmm. The like, more than one thing can be true at the same time that isn't, that might seem like it's counterintuitive or counter, you know, opposed to each other. Right. And being able to have the space to hold more than one thing. I mean, it helps me in therapy. It helps me in this work. It helps me um, in my relationships. Like it's mm-hmm. it's such an important tool because it's like, I can be uncomfortable and I can still speak up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can be a Jewish woman who has had my own experiences and I, and I can, I can be worthy of, of, of I can own my own experiences and I can step up for other people. And those two things don't counter each other out. You know, like they don't it's, and I can hold space for an identity's, you know, the oppression of a specific identity, being worse than mine or having a different experience or it doesn't have to be better or worse but being different and that can also be true also mm-hmm. um and you and I do a lot of that as well i think talking yeah. about that and naming that and so i think um that gives more i think dominant culture wants us to black and white everything and wants us to either or and this allows so much more nuance and so much more like it was a huge moment for me when you were like, "I care about your experiences as like a Jewish person. What's that like for you?" And I was like, "You do, you know, like <laughs> that I'm allowed to take up space in that way without that meaning that I have to take up other people's space, yeah, in in a particular moment or
0: compare it or anything like that." Yeah, um, yeah, I, I I love that because it it's it also on this side. It's like you know, it the 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 polarity is like. I can be, there are ways that I can be privileged and there are ways that I can be oppressed. Like there are ways that I am, I have privilege and there are ways that I am oppressed. Yeah. Right. And, and to be, be um, aware of, of where that privilege is and, and acknowledge it and utilize it in the way that I can, that, that makes a difference Mm -hmm. and, and recognize the ways that I'm oppressed in this society and, you know, sort of fight for, um, to dismantle that. Yeah. Right. And then honor that I have experienced, like have lived experience of oppression as well as, you know, many other... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. Not the, it's not the oppression Olympics, as we as we sometimes say. Right? Right, right. right. We're not competing for who's the more most oppressed. That's that would be exactly the agenda. Yeah. Of dominant culture. Yeah. I
1: like the way you put that. Like the dialectic of that is mm-hmm. is like I have privilege and I have other identities that have experienced, led me to experience oppression. Uh-huh. Both of those are true. Right. And neither one cancels out the other.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I think yeah. there's going to obviously be like, so I'm going to have to like pay attention to my whiteness a lot. <laughs> you know, like, like, They don't cancel each other. And also like, like mm-hmm. some of them are going to be a lot more um, prominent and uh, potentially causing harm if we're not paying attention to them. Right, right.
0: Yeah, it's it's um it this brings to mind um this word collaboration, like when yeah. I think of oppression, you know, I've 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 sort of like been dripping this word out ever since I came back from this conference, this Southern Illinois University. Conference where Dr. Uh, Angel Palermo presented this topic, and has awakened me, <laughs> awakened my mind and my heart to this word, because it really does bring this concept of you know our our liberation is all connected, and that's another practice is the practice of recognition of our humanity, the practice of also recognizing our own filters and our own mm. biases that we live through and, and understanding that every time we're speaking to someone, we're speaking through our filter and they're listening through their filter. They're speaking through their filter and we're listening through our filter. And in order for us to begin to, to really connect, we have to clarify, what are the filters? What am I, what are you actually hearing that I'm saying? What, what are you actually seeing that I'm not saying? Yeah. Right. And vice versa and, and connect beyond these filters and connect um, into our humanity. I think that's sort of how we begin to experience and practice this, well, experience the connectedness that co-liberation can actually bring, Mm -hmm. you know? I think that, Yes.
1: I love the term and I'm so excited to be exploring that with you um, because I think a lot of people don't understand it. And I th- I think when we like connect with each other as like flesh and bone bodies, like
0: mm-hmm.
1: with family and, and, and funny memories and senses of humor and all of that, like we can see humanity in people. Like we all brush our teeth, mm-hmm. theoretically, you know, like we all... <laughs> go to the bathroom and we all eat food and we all like have people that we love and people that we struggle with. And I think that that can help connect people in ways where it feels like everything is trying to drive us apart.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, th- I think that another, you know, practice is this, you mentioned it earlier. We haven't quite talked about it. Is this, this emotional regulation. Mm. And I, th- I think it's just really important when we're talking about this practice of, you know, this anti-oppression, anti-racism practice. I mean, part of it is I'm just feeling the discomfort, being willing to put ourselves in uncomfortable conversation, uncomfortable spaces. Part of it is recognizing our our own filters. But then the when sometimes when emotion comes up, it just comes up. So how so when that emotion rises and we recognize it, then it's like what do we do? You know? Yeah. Um, I'm like, Oh, is that, I'll, I'll, I'll talk. Yeah. I just, you
1: know, I did a, we had a situation recently where there was an apology that you had to make. And I was so impressed by like the amount of care and emotional regulation that you put into that. And like, and, and also the, how huge it can like to have to, to, to be able to show up to an apology, to have the care and the commitment and the um, integrity to show up in an apology in a like, in a really authentic way, takes so much work. Mm -hmm. And so I think having that tool, the tools of co-regulation are so so important. I mean, one of the things for me that I do all the time is when I'm uncomfortable and I recognize it, I'm like, and this is a, a, it's like an informal practice, I suppose, but I'm uh, Crystal McCreary is a, a yoga and mindfulness educator that I interviewed for my podcast like way back in 2020. And she was like, for every, and she was paraphrasing this, you've heard me say this a million times, but for every, every time a white person feels uncomfortable or a person in, in you know, privilege in a, with a privileged identity feels uncomfortable, discomfort, we're taking, it's like one, giving one breath. Of rest and and re- like um, relief for other pe- for other identities who are always feeling discomfort in mm-hmm. life and as they navigate life and so for me I'm like okay I'm like really uncomfortable right now but like okay that's okay I have to, and I I like talk myself through it like I am mm-hmm. what am I really am I afraid these white people are going to be mad at me for like bringing up a thing that needed to be brought up
0: mm-hmm.
1: am I actually no yes, I think, you know, we all want to be liked probably to some extent, but mm-hmm. once I can get past that. So it's that constant thing, like, is this discomfort killing me? And is it making me stronger? Is it, is it giving me compassion? Is it giving me more empathy and and the ability to say like, I'll take some of this on. I'll take right. on as much of it as I can, because that's, like we should, we should all be sharing that. I mean, it should never, it shouldn't exist at all, but we should be sharing it. And, and so for me, that's been a really helpful practice to get myself through the, the micro moments when I don't necessarily have time to like take a pause or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that one for me is, is helpful more often than I think I even recognize.
0: You know, it's interesting as you were talking, something came up that I thought about that. I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about, and that's, um, for people who tend to suppress emotion because, well, we've had to uh, mm-hmm. because of conversations around overreacting and, um, you know, the the stereotypes that come up with women who speak out, the dis- disruptive and, you know, all of those types of similar stereotypes that come up. Um, I think that there's a case to be made for emotional upregulation for those of us who Mm. suppress emotion, right? I being one of those people to allow for emotion to, the emotion to come up enough, enough to allow us to speak up. Mm. Because I think that when you suppress emotion for the majority of your life, then you tend to become numb, And things happen that cause a little discomfort, but then you just sort of like press it down because that's what you're used to doing. And then people either implode or explode. And I think that is one of the reasons why in our community, besides access, but in our community in general, and in the black community, there's such uh, a disparity in things like heart disease and cancer, right? Some of it is is just strictly healthcare, right? Strictly... The inequities of healthcare. I think also some of it is the amount of additional stress that we carry from having to suppress ourselves, and you know we know that that suppressing emotions and swallowing emotions and, and carrying hugely negative emotions internally all the time it creates a stress that disrupts the body's uh, well being. This yeah. that creates chronic. Um, high levels of cortisol and, and and chronic inflammation in the body, which we know chronic inflammation in the body can lead to autoimmune disorders, can lead to, you know, increased um, risk for heart disease and cancer and all those things, right? So when you think about it from that perspective, from a, a health perspective, it, there could be a case made for for those of us who tend to swallow emotions to upregulate those emotions just a little bit just enough to be able to express um what we need to express in those moments and even if we're not expressing to that exact person in that moment like to get, like to to call back the safe space to yeah. call back you know that aspect of it i think that's one of the things i like about tapping too that's for anyone
1: listening like another tool that i I mentioned at the beginning, a really great tool in this space for everybody, for all identities to to whatever discomfort is coming up to process that because mm-hmm. it allows us to, like a sanctioned way where we're active
0: mm-hmm.
1: and speaking and you, you know, like regulating our nervous system to allow us to feel our feelings, yeah. and to say like, I'm experiencing. you know, on on both sides. So like what you were just saying, like to help people upregulate, to help people get in touch with it, to be able to say the things out loud that have not been safe to say. And then like flipping back to my side of things, the like, I'm feeling a lot of shame because I'm seeing this bias come up or I am scared right now. I'm having a fear response Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because of my, like seeing that it's my bias and like, let me just like regulate myself so that I don't behave in a way that is acting on a bias that's not real. I mean, the bias I guess, is experienced is real, but it's not based on truth. So I think it's so important because I think a lot of white people too suppress any willingness to even acknowledge that they have bias or might be impacted by white supremacism or anything because like we've talked about already because of trauma, because like if I admit that, then I'm like having this existential moment that I'm a bad person and or like racist people are bad people, then I'm gonna get kicked out of the kicked out of the, the community or the whatever, and that's gonna increase like, cause a trauma response. So I think that allowing any deeply hidden emotions and feelings, being able to bring those up and and let those be what they
0: are, in all identities, I think can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Wow, I, I'm just thinking of all the other things that we could we could we could converse about, which we are in about two days. <laughs> True, part, part two. Stay tuned. Part two. Um, I think what I most appreciate about you know being in this work and and particularly being in it with you is that the recognition of the level of practice that it is to be you know to to be an activist to be teaching in this work to to learn the day to day to be in the day to day dynamic of it um and and to grow myself inside of the now I'm I'm so used to discomfort in many other ways in my in my in areas of my life you know as an entrepreneur as a business person mm-hmm. Um, as a mother, <laughs> you know, being in discomfort. But this, I have to admit, this is one of the, this is one of the places where it's most uncomfortable. Um, you know, just in doing the work and managing other people's yeah. uh, personalities <laughs> when when we're in our cons- consulting work and yeah. in our training spaces, um, because y- with you, it's a safe space and uh and i think people make the assumption that you know at least for people of color for black people and people of color that this work that this being in front of 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 white people and and people who identify as in in places of power and privilege um that stepping in front of them is easy every time yeah. and that it's just as difficult for me even though i deeply passionate about it as it is for anyone else. Yes.
1: And that's something when you, when you share that, not only did I learn from that, but I think that every person we learn, we, we are teaching really mm-hmm. benefits when you, when you share that. Cause I don't think that is, I think that's something that white people probably take for granted, you know?
0: hmm yeah. Yeah. Putting myself in additional discomfort than I already live every single I day know. just to be able to, you know, <laughs> dismantle this. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> cool. Well, um, I want to ask if there's anything that I didn't ask that that you want to say that I that we're not going to talk about in two days.
1: <laughs> you know, I think I think this was really great. I you know, there's there's just like in self-compassion practices, which are also really, really powerful in this work. There's little micro practices and there's formal practices and there's, there's in the moment little things. And then there's like the bigger work, you know, the bigger practices and stuff. I'm not going to be able to do a tapping sequence if I'm in the middle of a conversation with a family member who's saying something. I got to micro-regulate myself, but then there's also bigger practices as well. And so I think just knowing that this practice is accessible. There's a million different ways to approach it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They all kind of need to start in the body for the most part with some, you know, to get, to get the awareness and it's not, you know, it's so doable. It's, 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 and it doing the little micro practices feed the, the resilience to be doing the bigger practices. I think.
0: Speaking of the practices in the body, um, I'm going to make a statement and then I'm going to ask you a question. Number one is uh, you, you mentioned earlier, and I know this about you, you talked about the fact that you teach meditation and that you, um, you're a practitioner and an instructor Mm -hmm. for EFT tapping. The statement is, I would love to do an entire episode with you just about EFT um, so that people can understand what that is and how that, uh, really, how that really helps people in dealing with and sort of regulating, especially when they're in that trauma response um It's something that I've seen you do in our groups in our in our in our trainings and and with groups and that I've experienced as directly from you that has been pretty amazing and and I'd love to like dedicate a uh an actual session to the, an actual podcast to that. Um and so the question then is <laughs> right right <laughs> how can people if they're you know they're, they they want to uh get in touch with you so there may be people who already know what EFT tapping is um people most people kind of understand the world of meditation you teach meditation you do meditation retreats you you do one-on-one tapping sessions with people you also teach EFT tapping and you also do coaching around allyship. So there's, 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 you know, inside of the work that we do together, there's like this subset, this, this whole thing, this whole set of, and you take the embodiment tools that you have brought into Conscious Anti-Racism and you utilize them in various ways in your own like um, s- sphere. Mm-hmm. And so I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and also hear how people can connect with you um, in order to like work with you?
1: Um, okay. I'll answer that question. Cause that's a little easier. My website, it's W E N E R. And that's going to have a thing about meditation, a thing about tapping, what it is, you know, a video, different ways to work with me there. And then a, a bit on anti-racism with that connects us to our website, which is conscious, com. Um, and then a, a separate page on al- uh, allyship coaching as well. So all that stuff is is in there. Um, did that answer the Did that answer the question? I mean, you sort of said all the things that I do. I don't know. how... I, yes. I, know. <laughs> I think that's fine. Yeah, I do these things. Um, they initially maybe seem unrelated, and they're absolutely not unrelated. Um, and for me, they've been not only my lifeblood in terms of my own mental well-being but then also bringing it into the space um of anti-oppression work and anti-racism is been really it, for me it makes a lot of sense <laughs> like for me it just kind of smoothly transitioned um and it's you know i i never would have seen it coming in this way but i can't imagine
0: anything else yeah yeah absolutely very cool. Well, you all heard it. Go to jillwiener.com. And we're going to have all this information in our show notes. So for those of you who are listening live, um, this will be when we release the the audio version of the podcast, this will be in the show notes. Um, if you're listening live on LinkedIn, Dr. Jill Weiner is on LinkedIn. <laughs> and we will be tagging. I'll be tagging her us uh, after this when I reshare this. And if you are listening on live on YouTube, uh, we will add this to the description. If you are listening live on Twitter, you can click the link and come to um, either, I think, the LinkedIn Live or the YouTube and find uh, Dr. Jill's information. I believe you're on Twitter too, are you not? I sure am. What's I your handle on? Jill Wiener, MD. It's ah. that on all of them. Okay, Jill Wiener, MD on all of them. All of the platforms, so uh, yeah. reach out um, and and connect with Dr. Jill and and listen to her podcast, Conscious Anti Racism. Yeah. So thank you for coming on for this conversation. I feel so zen talking to you. It's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very right. pun t- pun not intended, but now it's intended. We have- <laughs> <laughs> well so. You all who are listening, I always like to thank the listeners because without the listeners, there is no podcast. If you found this podcast enjoyable, what I would love for you to do is to share it. Share it with a colleague, share it with a friend, share it with a family member because the way we get this knowledge out is through sharing. And of course, we always love it when you leave a review on Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast platform because once again, when people come to the Black Mind Garden podcast, they um, want to know what people are getting. And so when you share a review, that helps us to know, especially if you share a specific review about a specific podcast. So please let us know how you are liking these episodes, share it with someone, because at the end of the day, you're the access to a new future. So um, as always, Um, I am grateful for the listeners, Dr. Jill. I am grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. And um, we will see you all on the next episode. Y'all have a great rest of the day and a great rest of the week. Namaste, y'all. Hey, thanks for listening. Remember, I want you to apply these principles in your life every day. But also, I want you to share this podcast with others in your life who you think it could help, a friend, a colleague, or family member. And remember, go hit the subscribe button so you will know when our next episode is released. Finally, I'd really appreciate if you did me a favor and left a review. It really lets others know that this podcast can make a difference in their life as well. See you on the next episode.